our scripture reading, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 10. We'll begin reading at verse 21 to the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 10, beginning at verse 21, can be found on page 62 in the Pew Bible. Continue to work through the plagues of Egypt, the signs and miraculous wonders of God. And this morning we come to the ninth sign, the ninth wonder, or otherwise known as the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. Let us now hear God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. As far as the reading of God's holy word, made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. The congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the plague of locusts, the eighth plague, there were so many locusts that covered the earth, the land, that it was completely darkened. Locusts invaded the land, destroyed all vegetation and fruits, However, the Lord, according to his abundant mercy, spared Israel and the land of Goshen so that they would have plenty. God would not judge Israel, but protect Israel from the plague because they are his chosen people by his electing love and grace. Now here, without any warning or announcement to Pharaoh, darkness will cover Egypt. A very thick, deep, or as it says here, pitch darkness. It was another miracle and mighty sign of God to demonstrate that He is the Lord of heaven and earth and that there is none like Him. This is truly a miracle. There are some interpreters who try to explain the darkness over all the land as a natural phenomenon, only more intense. For example... In the land of Egypt, there was a windstorm that would come through and pick up dust and dirt from the Sahara Desert. And this storm was called the Kamsin. The Kamsin was a 50-day wind where the wind blows so heavily from the south and southwest and it brought up all the dirt and dust. And the air was so darkened, there was no light But darkness, 
And it is believed that the plague of darkness, according to these interpreters, was just greater and more intensified because the, the locusts ate up all the vegetation, the, tree, uh, the fruit from the trees, and so there was much more dirt in the air that made it much more darker. I don't find this plausible. I don't think scripture here teaches that. The plague of darkness was a supernatural event, a miraculous occurrence by the almighty hand of God. It came suddenly, and it came with great intensity, where we hear that it was so dark that it was pitch black. It was pitch darkness. It was so great for three days. Three days of darkness. Well, what's the purpose of the plague of darkness? We've looked at each plague, and we always wanted to ask the question, what is the purpose of the plague? And we know that Scripture teaches that each plague was a demonstration of the Lord showing his power against the gods of Egypt. So we come here to now the, the ninth plague, where the Lord strikes at the heart of the Egyptian gods and religion, especially the ruler of the Egyptians, Pharaoh himself. How so? Well, among the gods and goddesses, there were lesser gods and greater gods. There were minor gods and major gods. And we've seen some of those lesser gods in previous plagues. But now we come to a major god in the land of Egypt known as the sun god or the sun deity. The pharaoh of Egypt and the Egyptians themselves worshipped and reverenced the sun deity. Because the sun brings life and health to the land. And when there was darkness, they understood it to be a calamity and judgment. And so they prayed for sunlight. They prayed that the gods would have favor upon them and give them sunlight. There were at least four sun deities, at least four sun deities, but the most notable sun deity was a, a god named Ray, R-A, or sometimes it's spelled R-E. One Egyptian scholar wrote this about the god Ra, or Ray. Ra was the king of the deities and the father of all creation. He was the patron of the sun, heaven, kingship, power, and light. He was not only the deity who governed the actions of the sun, he could also be the physical sun itself as well as the day. The Egyptians were an agricultural society living in a desert. So not surprisingly, the sun and thereby Ra was an integral component of their cosmos, guiding their thoughts and actions. Ra was the, the most closely associated god with Pharaoh because Pharaoh was known as the son of Ra. Who said Pharaoh sat on Ra's throne. In fact, in Egyptian literature, there was a poem, a song that was found many centuries old, and it goes like this Be joyful, the entire land. Good times have come. The Lord has ascended in all the lands. And orderliness has gone down to its throne. 
the king of upper and lower Egypt, Pharaoh, Lord of millions of years, great in kingship just like Ra, who overwhelms Egypt with festivals, the son of Ra, who is more excellent than any king. They're giving praise to the king of Pharaoh because he is the son of Ra who sits on the throne. He is Lord of earth. The Lord strikes at the very heart of the Egyptian religion and Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was the God and Lord of the people. He represented the gods on earth. The belief that the, now listen carefully, the belief that the son of the de, a deity could take on a human form was not uncommon. It was blasphemous in the Israelite religion, the Jewish religion. But to the nations, it was not. It wasn't an impossibility. But Pharaoh, we know, is a mere man, a sinner, one with a hardened heart. He didn't possess power and authority, and the Lord's going to let him know that. The Lord's going to let him know, as the Lord always does in all of our hearts, I am Lord, you're not. And congregation, the God of the Hebrews sent his son, didn't he? Isn't Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords? Is he not called Son of God? When at the fullness of time God sent forth his son, who was born of a woman, born of a virgin, who is called both Lord and Christ, King of all nature, King of all nations, co-eternal, co-existent with the Father, the Son of God who took on human flesh and dwelt among sinners. The Word of God, the Bible teaches us that the Son is the image of the invisible God and the exact representation of His being. And so in the Son, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And that is a stumbling block for the Jews. It's interesting. Think about it. The Egyptians worshipped the, the Ra and worshipped the son of Ra, Pharaoh, which was blasphemous in the eyes of the Israelites. But the Israelites would find Jesus blasphemous because he claimed to be the son of God. When it is the son of God who what? Saves his people. Through Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus, all things were created, even sun and its light. Even sun and its light. The Lord strikes the heart of the Egyptian gods and Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh himself. But when the fullness of time came and he sent forth his son, God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was rejected by his own. Secondly, the meaning of the plague of darkness. The meaning of the plague of darkness. Purpose, the Lord strikes at the heart of the Egyptian religion. Pharaoh himself and the gods 
What does this mean? Why darkness? Look with me in your Bible. Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Like the beginning of creation, Egypt's land will be covered in darkness. There's a creation reversal as we've been seeing throughout the plagues. What happened at the beginning of creation? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. This darkness covered Egypt. This nation, this rebellious nation, in a polytheistic society that is in a society that worshiped many gods, Moses makes this confessional declaration that there is one God in Genesis 1.1. There's one God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he brought light in the darkness. He created light by his word. But here we have in this passage, because of Egypt's rebellion and hardness of heart, the Lord decreates the people and the land of Egypt. For three days, the darkness is thick or total. The ESV says pitch darkness. It can also be translated thick, total, overwhelming. It can also be translated groping. It was such a darkness where you're, you're grasping for something to find. Or you heard the expression, I'm in the dark here. There's obscurity. You, there's, there's unknown, uncertainty. It was so dark they could not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. That's how dark it was. And God purposed that the darkness is felt by the Egyptians. How is darkness felt? What is it about darkness? Seriously, think about that for a second. What was so severe about this plague that makes it different than the previous plague? Surely, the locust, couldn't that be more severe? You lose your entire crop. They're in your house. How about the gnats or flies? How about the disease that kills the livestock? How about the hail? Surely that's more intense and severe. But darkness. Darkness. Darkness is felt. How? Some of you remember Ernest Shackleton, the explorer from Britain. What did he do, boys and girls? He tried to go to the South Pole. He was an explorer. And he tried to go to the South Pole, the very southern part of the earth, with his crew. He was an explorer. But he didn't make it because his ship, his vessel, was caught in ice. And they suffered greatly with hunger, 
They suffered from this freezing temperatures. There were many environmental things going on that threatened their life. But Shackleton's biographer said this. This is what he wrote. Listen what he said. In all the world, there is no desolation more complete than the polar nights. It is a return to the ice age. No warmth, no life, no movement. Only those who have experienced it can fully appreciate what it means to be without the sun day after day and week after week. Few men unaccustomed to it can fight off its effects altogether. And it has driven some men mad. The greatest threat to Shackleton and his crew wasn't so much hunger, wasn't so much the freezing temperatures. Those were serious things, though. It was the darkness of polar nights. Darkness was felt by the crew. In Barrow, Alaska, it is completely dark, completely dark for two months. Many people know depression, and as a result, resort to alcoholism or other addictions. There's abuse, high levels of abuse. There's disorientation and rage. The darkness is felt. Some of you may know what it's like to work the graveyard shift. You've worked the graveyard shift before? Many years ago I did as well. You go to work at 10 p.m., it's dark. You get home before the sun comes up. What do you do? You typically go to bed while the sun is out. And you may see the sun briefly, but it messes with you. The graveyard shift messes with a person. Or how about here in DeMont in the wintertime when you don't see the sun for a long time? There's something too, seasonal affective disorder. When it's raining day after day, there's no sunlight. It's dark out. And we're not even talking about the darkness being described here in the plague. How does it affect you? How do you feel it? Well, you feel it emotionally. You feel it physically. You feel it psychologically. And you feel it spiritually. The whole person feels it. When I say whole person, I mean the mind, the body, the soul, the whole man. Darkness Physical darkness can put you in a dark place. How about loneliness? We'll get to that. Darkness is felt, and it was felt for the Egyptians for three days when it was pitch black. Couldn't probably see their hand in front of them. I'm going to state the obvious. All right? You may chuckle. That's fine. But I'm going to state the obvious. Darkness is the absence of what? Light. Darkness is the absence of light. 
Sounds simple, doesn't it? Think about it. Think about it. Darkness is obscurity. Darkness is an emptiness or a void. There's a reason why God created light first in the beginning. He spoke and light came into existence. An inhabitable world needs light to make it habitable. Now there's the figurative meaning of darkness, isn't there? Those effects of physical darkness are felt by the soul. But darkness also has a figurative meaning in the Bible. Spiritual blindness and ignorance. We read that earlier from Ephesians 4.17. The Gentiles are what? Darkened in their understanding. Ignorant of the things of God. Because sin is so hard in their hearts that they're dark in their understanding. They, they, they grope. They're groping for happiness and groping from the void that is in their life. Groping for something or someone to make them happy and give life and light in their darkness. Darkness is figurative for judgment. Our text has both a physical and a figurative meaning. Judgment, death, sin, and evil. Even your English dictionaries, even your English dictionaries will define darkness as a figurative as figurative for human evil. Even human darkness. Light, on the other hand, reveals or manifests. It opens up. It brings clarity. It makes those things that were unknown, known. It removes the obscurity. And that's why God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. When When you set your eyes, the eyes of your heart upon God, you have truth. You have life, because he is light. There's no falsehood or lies in him. He is morally pure and true and good. Psalm 36.9, if you're taking notes. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Like the sun, he brings light into the darkness of sin, death, and the grave. And because of sin, this world is dark and evil. Because of human depravity and idolatry and hardness of heart, darkness dwells in the inner person, the inner man and woman. And there's total emptiness and a great void in human hearts. Yes, you may have purpose in this life. My purpose is to have a good job or have a good family, have a lot of money, have security in different ways. But there's that void. There's that darkness in every human heart. And that darkness is often tried to be replaced with other darkness. There's no eternal purpose or meaning in human hearts. 
And so people seek hope and life in the transient or temporal things of life. Is that you? Do you feel like your soul, your heart is darkened? You're grasping, you're groping in the thick darkness? God sent his son into the world. And as the scriptures teach, when the Christ was born, the people dwelling in darkness saw what? A great light. A great light. The Apostle John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Because Jesus is the light of the world, He says. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Pharaoh and his servants chose darkness. But the people of God, Israel, were saved. The people of God, Israelites, in the land of Goshen, they saw light because God's light was upon them. The light of life gave them life and saved them. And this light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen carefully, friend, listen carefully. The light of the world was crucified, and when he was crucified, what covered the land? Darkness. Darkness for three hours covered the land. And he was buried, buried in the tomb. And he was in the grave three days, and his body was in the darkness of the grave. The light of the world experienced the darkness of death, the darkness of death for you and me, Christian. On the third day, he rose from the dead and dwells in inexpressible light at the Father's right hand. Jesus is the true light of God who gives light to wayward and blind sinners. Is your life directionless? Is your life heavy and weighted by sin? Are you groping in pitch darkness in the soul of your heart, reaching for something other than Christ, who is the light of the world, trying to fill that darkness, that void, that emptiness with something or someone other than Jesus? Do you live in the darkness of unbelief, Come to the lights, the light of the world. Repent and believe, and no light in life. Or you're a Christian, or you're a Christian, and you're experiencing dark providences in life. Oh, yeah. Perhaps you're a widow or a widower, and you know the, the deep darkness, the dark providences at night when you're alone. Or perhaps you're single and you're lonely in your home. Well, we don't think that there's darkness that exists around us. 
the circumstances around us are dark and affects us, we feel it. The loss of a loved one, betrayal, betrayed by a friend. Perhaps young people, you don't feel like you have friends and you're lonely and you feel like you're in a dark place in life. Perhaps, Christian, you're engaged in particular sins that have put you in a dark place and it's felt Look to the light of Christ because you, Christian, had the light of Christ in you. That's why Jesus Christ says you are the light of the world because in you, you have light, the light of Jesus, the gospel. And though the circumstances around you are dark and it's felt, there's light in you and he is Jesus, the hope of glory. And so that's why we look to him in faith, believing his promise that you are not alone. Despite the circumstances, you are not alone because Jesus, the light of the world, is in you. This is why Christians need one another. This is why we need the fellowship of the saints. Because think about it, if the light of Christ dwells in you, your light, your light, your light, your light. We glow greater and grander when light comes together. And because the light of Christ dwells in the assembly of the saints, God is glorified when his people come together. And the light becomes brighter. And we encourage one another in the light of the gospel and of Christ. If you're struggling with that loneliness, if you're struggling with that darkness as a Christian, listen to the words of Abide With Me. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. And then the final stanza. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me. The song points us to Jesus who is our hope and our life and the very light of the world amidst the gloom that we experience in this world, even death. Purpose of the plagues, the meaning of the plague, now the result of the plague of darkness, 
the negotiation. Verse 24, Pharaoh was a negotiator. He called Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. But the flocks and herds have to be, remain behind. You can't bring them, Moses. They have to remain behind. He wants some kind of security, something to hold the Egypt or the Israelites from leaving altogether and never coming back. Surely if he keeps the flocks and herds, they'll want to come back and get them. Moses stands his ground and doesn't concede. No, no, Pharaoh. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. God determines who shall leave Egypt, and he determined that all of Israel will leave Egypt along with their possessions and animals. And I spoke of this in the past in one of the plagues, that when we leave Egypt, we leave Egypt. We don't go back. When we're called to put to death sin, we're called to put it to death, not go back to it. And yet oftentimes we do, and that's when the Lord is gracious. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But when God saves, he saves altogether, fully. The negotiations come to an end. When Pharaoh hardens his heart in verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care, never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Moses was God to Pharaoh and God's people. Pharaoh demands that Moses shall never darken the doors of his palace and see his face again. The physical blindness clearly blinded his perception of reality and his blindness to the truth of God. He was spiritually blind, and it's the spiritually blind who vehemently attack God's people. And we see that today, don't we? Pharaoh threatens to murder Moses if Moses enters his presence again. Isn't this what happens to the prophets of God? Isn't this what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when the religious leaders threatened to kill him? To kill God's son? They plotted ways to trap him and murder him. They delivered him up to Pontius Pilate and the Romans for crucifixion. However, it was necessary for the light of the world to enter the darkness of death so that he would enter the home of our hearts and dispel the darkness of our hearts and give us and fill us with our deepest need. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who dwells in the people of God. And give us eternal meaning and purpose. Friends, those who remain in unbelief and hardness of heart will be cast into what? Outer darkness. There is a darkness coming, and I can speak a lot to what that will entail. We only need to look at Revelation 21 and 22. I only need to look at Isaiah chapter 60, when the great darkness will overwhelm 
unbelief and evil, but those who see the great light and believe in the light of the world will be saved and they will live and dwell in the light of his presence, eternal life. Know this. You see, you see spiritually, you believe Christ and his saving work because he loved you and he by his spirit broke into that hardened heart pierced through the darkness of your heart and gave you light and life. That is why that is why it is by grace you have been saved through faith. God in his mercy called you out of darkness, called you out of darkness to dwell in his glorious light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, Jesus. And we are called as citizens of his kingdom to walk now in a manner worthy of the calling, to walk in that light and not in the darkness. But Christian, when you fall and you find yourself walking in darkness, turn back to the light, repent, confess your sins, knowing that he is faithful to forgive and have mercy upon you. His glory will shine upon you. His light will fill you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the God of heaven and earth, and you, in you alone there is light. There is no obscurity in you. There is no evil in you. There is no darkness in you. We thank you, O Lord, for your Son, who is ruler of all nature, Son of God and Son of Man. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will come one day to judge the living and the dead. And on numerous occasions in the Bible, he says that those who live in darkness and persist to live in unbelief will be cast into outer darkness in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh Lord God, that is a sober reminder to all of us that we all need to do a self-examination that we are walking in Christ, in faith, looking to his saving work. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray for those who are spiritually lost. Pray for those who are in unbelief, whether here in this sanctuary or listening via live stream, that you, O oh Lord, would pierce through the darkness and hardened heart and reveal to them by your spirit and word the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may repent, turn from idols, and turn to the true God of heaven and earth. We pray for 
all the believers, those who trust in your great name, that we, O oh Lord, would learn to walk in the light, even despite the circumstances that we face daily. Pray for the lonely, the widow, widower, the orphan. We pray for all who are going through the dark providences in life, that they may look to the light of life who dwells in them. May they lift high Christ in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray.